Hello everyone, it's a joy to worship again in our homes. Again, more to come in the next few weeks on when we'll be able to worship together live. But it has been a series of very challenging conversations and I totally get that. We're in the middle of a pandemic and a financial downturn and it's summer and we all just want a holiday. And we're even talking about murder and anger. Uh, we've gone through lust and adultery. We've looked at divorce and remarriage. All of these are challenging topics, but you know what? They're real world topics. And Jesus isn't just for the ethereal and for the heavenly. He's for the here and for the now. And he wants to lead you, uh, you and me in his way. And so we're just going to continue in this series on uh, what it means to follow Jesus. And remember, taking a step back, when we look at Matthews 5, 6, and 7, it's all about how we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? It's about loving God, and that's why Jesus is teaching his people, and learning to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, both of those things are, are his way, his direction. And so what we get in this long message in Matthew is the practical how do we love God and how do we love our, our neighbor? And so we need to think about this. When we get angry, there's a Jesus response. When we're like just filled with lust and desire, we need to check that in terms of the way and the thoughts of Jesus. And when it comes to our human relationships, whether it's marriage or future or singleness, all those things, we need to factor Jesus into all of life, not just, you know, Sunday Bible time. Well, let's, let's continue. We've looked at a few things that Jesus has to say. Let's look at the fourth example that he gives us in Matthew 5 about what it means to live under God's good rule. We'll start in verse uh, 33. Again, you've heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, remember Jesus always states the law and then he gives the right interpretation. Do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven for it's God's throne or by the earth for it's his footstool or by Jerusalem for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply, quote, yes or no, end quote. And anything beyond this comes from the evil one, coming from a guy who shaves his head because it's not even there and whatever's there is white. I just think this is hysterical. Okay, so we've had all these challenging conversations and then we're, you know, we're left with this one. What does this mean? Already, I feel good about myself because, you know, when you talk about the pressing things like anger and, and lust and relational breakdown, man, I feel convicted and like, whew, I haven't sworn an oath by Jerusalem, the city of the great king. And I, it's, it's easy to look at this one and say, all right, all right, finally, one that like the others I'm struggling with, this one I've got nailed. And has anyone made that kind of like oath by the great city? or by heaven? Probably not. What is Jesus getting at? Truth-telling. And we're going to look at it because while at first you look and say, man, I'm, this is not a big deal for me, but then when you press in and think about Jesus' words, and I always find them convicting. What do, what do we learn? The debate here was about using God's name. You see, God, if you read the, the early part of the Bible, the Old Testament, you realize that God, when he speaks to his people, he gives promises. And, and often 
he, God himself, declares an oath. Like he says, I'm going to do this. And, and in a sense, he puts his name to it. You think about, uh, just one example, Noah. When God saw the earth and how terrible people were becoming, he realized he needed to judge and stop. The evil was just running rampant. And with that, he, he floods, he covers the earth and he does a real reset. But then he promises on oath to Noah, I, I will not destroy the earth again in this way. And he actually gives a sign of the oath, you and I, we know it, the rainbow. And every time that's visible in the sky, it's sort of like a reminder, God makes an oath, a promise, and, and he keeps it. So in a real sense, uh, God's people making promises is a reflection, it's like an extension of the God that we serve, right? So, so you and I commit to do things just like God commits himself. But in terms of how God's people are to use it, in the Old Testament, you see again and again and again, okay, there's one thing about giving your word, but you need to be really careful when you bring God's name into it. So I'll just read in a few examples. When we use the name of God, we need to be careful. I'm going to get to the words of Jesus, but it's building on what God had already said. Uh, Jesus says, you've heard it long ago. Now he's not quoting one law here. He's not like looking at the Ten Commandments. He's actually looking at a bunch. I'll just read two of them. Leviticus 19, 12 says, Do not swear falsely by my name. That's God. And so profane the name of your God. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. Don't swear falsely. When you, when you bring my name into it, be really careful. Because when God brings his name into it, he always keeps his word. So God is not a name you throw around lightly. Another one, Deuteronomy 23, uh, verses one through three. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it. For the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you will not be guilty. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do because you have made your vow freely, notice, to the Lord your God with your own Mouth. So all throughout the Bible, God is a truth-telling God. The creator always says, gives, keeps his word. And so remember, the, the goal of God creating a people, Israel, and now creating us, God's people, the family of God, the church, was to reflect the goodness of God to the world. And so God keeps his word. His people should keep their word. And oh, by the way, be very careful when you say, in God's name, I will do this because God takes his name seriously. Now, so far, so good, pretty straightforward. Don't use God's name loosely. This is not talking about like cursing and swearing and foul language as much as is when you are presenting your case of saying you're gonna do it, do not flippantly say like, in God's name, I will, and then make a commitment. God takes it seriously. Now, what's Jesus referring to though? Okay, so we get that. Well, like most things, when there is a command, there's always an attempt by God's people to fulfill the command. Uh, I'm just going to use an example. Uh, the Bible says, pray without ceasing. Pray without end. Now, how do we do that? There is an entire industry on how to live that out. If you think about it, there are, there are prayer journals, there are books on prayer, there are prayer books and guides, uh, there are apps, there are teachings, there are videos. And there's all sorts of thoughts on what it means for you and I to pray without end. Does that mean talk to God every second of every day? Does it or doesn't it? So in a real sense, when God says something, we 
have to like use wisdom on how to live it out. Well, the same thing goes with oaths because God had given these clear commands multiple times with Leviticus, Deuteronomy and other places that I didn't quote. How, like in Jesus' time, like, well, when can you use the name of God? And if you're not gonna use the name of God and your name doesn't mean much, then what can you swear by to say that like, I'm being very serious. So in their culture, they created all sorts of oral traditions, the leaders, the rabbis, they, they had God's written word, but then they added all sorts of suggestions on how to live that out. And like, like the prayer example for us, pray without ceasing, it is possible to become legalistic and miss the heart. Pray with that end means live with the reality of God at all times. He is there. He is available. He is with us. So we should factor God into everything. But you can make it about, well, I need to pray every hour on the hour. I need to pray three times a day. I need to pray before every meal. You ever have that like meal time? And someone just says, hey, like you didn't, you didn't bless the food. As, as if like eating that taco before praying about it was somehow offensive to God. In that same way, when it came to the oaths in Jesus' day, he's speaking against a very real mistake that the people have made. And we see the mistake later in Matthew's gospel. He actually has a conversation. Well, let's just go there. Uh, Matthew chapter 23, uh, Matthew 23, and I'm gonna start in verse 16. He has a conversation with these leaders about oaths. Notice this, it's gonna sound weird, but it, it will begin to make sense. He says in verse 16, "'Woe to you blind guides, you say, "'if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools. What is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And then he gives another example. You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred. And then he makes his point, verse 20. Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Again, all humans, all of us, what ends up happening in trying to do the right thing, we end up inadvertently creating these systems that miss the heart of God. Don't you forget Matthews 5, 6, and 7 are about a renovation of the heart, transformation of the heart. God is not interested in his people just sucking it up, memorizing a list of rules, following the list of rules to somehow attain this closeness with God. Blessed are you, the poor for yours is the kingdom of heaven. God's blessing is on our life. Jesus has come to bring right relationship between us and God and us and other people. And so what, what Jesus is saying all throughout the Sermon on the Mount is what we need is a renovated heart. We need the Holy Spirit of God to do a deep work in our heart. And when our heart is right, our actions will follow. Let me say that again. When our heart is right, our actions have no choice but to follow. So he says to these blind guys, like, okay, these are the teachers. And he's really mad. He calls them blind fools because these are the people who are supposed to free people to live and write with the beautiful, wonderful creator who loves them. And instead they threw a 
burden on people and said, well, if you swear by this, it's okay. If you swear by that, it's, it's not okay. How quickly we missed the point. I'll give another example because some, sometimes we look and say, man, thank God we're not like them. Well, we're exactly like them. Bible reading. Okay, uh, when and how much of the Bible should you read? What will, how much Bible reading, what frequency is going to please God? Welcome to the trick question. Well, it's, it's the same thing. Well, I read the Bible in the morning. So, okay, if you missed your Bible reading in the morning, watch out. You may not be guided by God during the day. Is that right? Well, I can in one sense quote some Bible verses where David read the Bible in the morning and Joshua read the Bible in the morning and Jesus read the Bible in the morning. Okay. But you see how quickly we can jump to, to pathways, to practices, to specifics and make them, if we're not careful, Bible reading is life-giving. Why? God wrote the word. So wouldn't you want to spend time with God? Well, every time I open my eyes to the pages of scripture, I'm in the presence of God because the spirit of God, the Bible tells me, guided the very authors to pen the word. So God's thoughts are coming into my view. But if we're not careful, we get legalistic and we make, well, if you didn't read this Bible plan and if you didn't read the whole Bible in a year and if you didn't read or, or memorize, if you, we, we add these layers. Now, I am all for practices. Don't misquote me. I think like in anything else, I don't trust myself to do my own workout plan. So guess what? I have a written workout plan. It's actually in my app. And I log and track how much running I'm doing, push-ups and sit-ups. And right now I'm doing a video series and it's got various videos to work out your whole body during the day. Those practices keep me from eating chips and guac all day. And, and getting out of shape and not feeling good. So the practices are helpful tools, but hear me, the goal is health. My goal is health. So if I miss a video on a day or, you know, I track it on my watch, if I don't, you know, finish my circles in a day, I go to bed just fine because the practices are not my God. Health is my goal. Does that make sense? And so in the same way, Jesus is making a point about oaths to get to the heart of the truth. The, the goal, God's goal is that you and I would speak the truth and that we wouldn't flippantly use our words in a way that's gonna dishonor not only our own name, but the name of God. And so be careful, he's saying, be careful with your words don't enter into promises lightly and, and be really careful when you throw God into the mix and kind of say, well, God's on my side. God is my witness. I'm going to do it. Be very, very careful. And now when it comes to oaths, what, what's the challenge? Why is truth telling so important? Well, I'll give you just a, it's a silly illustration, but it happened to me. I was thinking back on this. When I was in the seventh grade, I, I grew up in New York and I grew up in a very mixed environment. We had a lot of Italians who were predominantly Catholic. Uh, we had a lot of blacks uh, who were, you know, predominantly, whether it's black gospel, Baptist or Pentecostal, you know, a lot, of, a lot of church connection in the black community, at least in the environment where I grew up in. And then I also grew up in a Jewish community. And, and so I was invited when I was in middle school to all sorts of things, whether it's, you know, to black gospel churches, which, you know, I loved, but I was also invited to a bunch of bar mitzvahs 
which when you're in seventh grade, when you turn 13 or 14, it's, it's, I'm forgetting which one, but when you turn a teen uh, in the Jewish faith, you, as, a, as a guy, you do your bar mitzvah and, and you, they go to Hebrew school, they learn all of this Hebrew, they memorize it, and they, they enter into manhood in the Jewish community and the whole community comes out to celebrate. Well, I remember in seventh grade, uh, Jason had invited me to his bar mitzvah. And at the time we were financially, I mean like cash strapped, like you wouldn't believe. And so I talked to my parents about it and there just wasn't money in the budget to bring a gift. And part, a big part of the bar mitzvah is bringing gifts, you know, to honor and, you know, support Jason in this case. And so I, it was getting closer to coming and, you know, you had RSVP and I, I was like hoping for a miracle that we'd have the money to, to buy a gift. So I kept saying, oh yeah, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. And, and we got close. He's like, hey man, it was like, two weeks away, like, are you going to be there? I just want to make sure. Oh yeah, no, two, I'm totally there. And, and it, it was, you know, I made a promise that I, I was, I was actually hoping I could keep, like, I was literally thinking, can I sell anything? Which I had nothing to somehow, cause I didn't want to show up personally embarrassed. So I just threw the, yeah, the, the flip it. I'm going to totally do it when I was 50, 50 at best. And then it was a couple of days before I'm like, man, I can't wait to see you this week. And oh, I'll totally be there. And then right beforehand, right beforehand, I called and thankfully it just went, you know, to their pre voicemail, like, like tape recorder messenger thing and just left this long excuse lie while, why I couldn't make it. And I remember seeing, I didn't think much of it. I just felt bad, but I didn't think much of it. And I remember seeing him on school on Monday. And I didn't think this was that big of a deal. I'm not Jewish. And so he took a risk by inviting a non-Jewish friend into their synagogue. Because like he cared enough, like I would known him for a long time. He wanted me to be a part of this huge celebration. It meant way more to him than I imagined and I so try to talk myself out of it. He was so kind that like the gift that they gave everyone who came, he actually brought it to school and he gave it to me. He's like, I'm sorry, you couldn't make it. He could see through it. I knew it. I felt so guilty. Uh, it's a little seventh grade example, but I think life is so often like that, isn't it? We don't take our words seriously. And in our culture, we actually don't take our promises seriously. When we say we're going to do something, when we make a commitment before God and the church uh, to another person in a relationship, or even in small things, like I will be there at that event. How quickly today do we just say, I'm going to totally be there. Someone makes a plan. And because we have text avail avail availability now, I didn't have it in seventh grade. Oh, dude, can't make it. And how we bow out not even realizing the impact on someone else. And I'll tell you the, the end of that story because it really made a mark on me. I ended up seeing Jason through to the end of high school, but we were never close after that. I, and I'm not gonna blame him one bit. You know, partly is, you know, your friend group changes over time and that's okay. But we were never close after that. And I think part of it was me breaking my word meant more to him than my word meant even to myself. Have you ever found yourself in that kind of spot? Now, here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He wants us to live under God's good rule. 
He wants us to live in a way that's going to honor him, right? We're going to say what's true. Why? Because God always says what's true. And then at the same token, God knows what's going to break down relationships. And relationships often break down because of words, don't they? When someone makes a promise and they don't keep it, when they say something and they do another, it, it, it builds a barrier, it breaks down the beauty of friendship. And if we're not careful in the church, in the Jesus community, our words are going to take us off course. So what do we need to do? We need to think about how we're using our words when it comes to other people. Are we using our words to build up? Or actually, are we flippantly speaking to one another, making promises, making commitments in ways that we actually don't fully intend to keep, and in doing that, hurting our brother and sister? And so Jesus is talking about their silly list of, if you swear by the gold, you got to do it. But if you swear by the temple, you're okay. It's like, oh man, ladies and gentlemen, you have missed the plot line. The goal of the law was because God is truth-telling and God keeps his word that his people would do the same. And in the end, for us, friends, this is a hard issue. Maybe you're, you know, we don't often make these oaths and promises, but uh, we do exaggerate, don't we? Let's just think about our own life because we're more digital than generations past. Uh, How are we using our sphere of influence to project what's really going on? Let me ask you that question. Let's just think about social media for a second because we all have phones. Uh, Am I using my feed to speak the truth? In the way that I present myself, now again, you know, oaths and temples and all that, that may not be our deal, but am I projecting the truth about me in the way I present myself to other people? Or am I hiding behind perfect photos and, you know, articulate sayings on my feed when the reality is in my soul I'm hurting, but I put up a mask. In the end, basically, I'm lying. Now, I'm not saying everyone needs to owe to know everything. And frankly, I don't care when people vomit on social media and just all over the place. There's an appropriate time and a place to say what we say. But are we projecting an accurate representation of who we are? Are we exaggerating? Are we lying? Are we conniving to speak to people in a way that's inaccurate? Are we name dropping and, and, and doing what people in our culture have no problem doing? Or are we learning to speak the truth? Are we, are we manipulating? Are we actually using these tools, which by the way, tools are neutral. A knife is a knife, okay? I could cut my hand off, which I wouldn't recommend, or I can use the same knife to cut vegetables and make dinner. So the tool is neutral and your phone is in one sense neutral and your your media feeds, your representation is neutral until you and I twist it. And so Jesus is saying, out of love, my kingdom, my good rule, my people are going to be represented by truth-telling, honesty, integrity. Our word matters. And so uh, what what do we learn from this? Because what Jesus says is so poignant. Everything on top of yes and no has a source. That's so interesting. Rather than fluff and, hey, I promise this, look at me and and look what life is like for... No, no, all of that is going to steer people in a direction towards 
honesty and truthfulness or lies, deception, manipulation, make you usually look better than you really are. And, and Jesus says, yes and no. Let your yes be yes. I'm gonna do it. Or this is what I did. Let your no be no. Everything else has a source and it's the evil one. Ouch. It's a tough word for us to swallow, but it's an important word for us to consider, especially in our generation where truth and lies are going out so fast. We live in the information age, and so we're sending all sorts of messages, messages that people never received 20, 30 years ago. You didn't know. As a matter of fact, when I was growing up, I think about it now, I don't know how my parents ever found me. Like, I literally don't know. Like, I left in the morning, I think because we had literal pay phones, because I didn't have a cell phone, there were no cell phones. I think I left with like a quarter in my pocket, and I had to check in with my parents. Like. They had no idea. And now we can track everything. I can track every post and how many people watch and how many people like and how many people trend. This is sick. If we're not careful, what we're going to do is we're going to take these things and we're going to kill our own soul by spinning, like creating a false narrative that is not really us. And in so, hurting ourselves because in our soul we know it's wrong and then outwardly actually harming other people by projecting things that aren't true. And in one sense, that's going beyond yes and no. And the source is the evil one. Now, if you think Jesus's word is the final word, think about the people who started to follow Jesus and how they built on it. I just want to read a couple. They're encouraging and discouraging at the same time. They're really helpful, actually. James, Jesus is own brother, when he writes to the church, notice what he says, James 5, verse 12. Above all else, my brothers and sisters, above all else, do not swear by heaven or by earth or by anything else. He's basically quoting Jesus. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. I love it. Jesus' own brother, who becomes one of his followers and a leader in the church, quotes Jesus. Look, yes and no in the church. I'm going to do it or I'm not going to do it. I'm all in or I'm not. And it's okay to say, I'm unsure. So until then, hold me as a no or a maybe. But you know what? When we flippantly say yes and no and really don't do what we say, we end up hurting each other. It's subtle, but Jesus wants his people to stay close and the relationships to stay healthy. So watch your words. Notice what happens next. If that's, if that's all you read, that's cool. But keep reading on because you see the why. Verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, the Lord will raise them up. And if they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. When we're in trouble, what are we supposed to do? Be honest. When we're sick, what are we supposed to do? Be honest. When we fall off the path and we get into behavior that's not in the heart of God, what are we supposed to do? Be honest. Notice, at first he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Everything else is going to be condemned. And the relational things follow. 
Why do we need to be upfront with one another and speak the truth to one another and be honest and be vulnerable with one another and tell it like it really is? Because our lives are broken and we need one another. So how can I pray for you when I don't know what's really going on? And when you hit trouble, how can I stand with you and support you if I don't know what's, if you keep pretending, how am I going to know? And if you're hiding what's really going on, how can I stand with you? And in God's name, say together, we're going to get through this and let's get, let's get through this in Jesus' name. If we don't learn to speak the truth, I'm talking to Jesus followers here. If we're not honest with each other, let alone the world, how are we going to live as the people of God? So transparency and honesty in behavior and speech is a part of the way of Jesus. And if you think James is the only person, we've, we looked at uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I'll just give you a quote from Paul because it kind of says the same thing in different language. Ephesians 4, verse 22, you, uh, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, notice, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self uh, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul reminds this church, you're not the same person. This is what Jesus is saying on the Sermon on the Mount. This is the new you. This is, you're the new person with, with God's relationship restored with you. And, and now you need to put on the new mind. You need to live in the new way. That's exactly what Jesus is teaching. Notice what Paul says next, verse 25. Therefore, because this is true, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Now, it would be terrible if my hand were lying to my foot. You know, sending false signals, I think I've said it before, my mom had a serious condition, ended up needing surgery because there was a, a, a nerve in like behind her lower teeth and her cheek that was sending a wrong signal. And she was in horrific pain because a nerve was lying, using non-medical terms, lying to her brain. And, and so she was in writhing agony for months because of a lie. And what they had to do is they had to go in and literally cover that nerve to stop sending the wrong signal and the pain was gone. And this is about truth and lies. If we're not careful and we lie to one another, we're going to inflict pain that we never even intend. And we didn't even intend it. That's the sad part. We want to do good but when we're, and I'm not talking about just don't tell overt lies. Don't exaggerate. Don't spin. Don't finagle. Don't, don't puff yourself up to make yourself look better than you really are. Here's why. We are the body. And the body is designed by God, other people in the church, to be God's goodness to you. So if you're not honest about what you're going through, how, how can we surround you with God's love, God's mercy? Let's get practical. If you're in financial need and you don't tell anybody, guess what? We are the body and God has given parts of the body more resources to be there when you are in financial need. But if you pretend that everything's okay, how can the rest of the body love you like God intended? So it's not just don't overtly lie to one another. It's 
actually deeper. Jesus is saying this oath, this truth-telling, is about the heart of God, and the heart of God is about honesty and transparency and vulnerability because we are the people of God, and we need to know one another. Just to continue what Paul says, in your anger, do not sin and do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold notice. When we get speech, when we get spin, when we, when we get language and promises that are off the source of it, Jesus was what? The evil one. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Yes and no is right. Everything else has a source. It's the evil one. And when we don't speak the truth, Paul tells the same thing. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give the enemy of your soul, of our souls, a foothold by allowing our, our desire to look good lead us in a path of lies and half-truths, which is basically half-lies. Let's learn, and this is hard, but important. Let's learn to speak the truth to one another. What's the bottom line? Don't give the devil a foothold in your life and in my life. Let's not give the devil a foothold. And it begins by coming back to Jesus as the way, truth, and life. And so where do we begin? It begins actually by confessing, you know what? Our culture is telling us, spin it, turn it, twist it so that you look good. And the way of Jesus is saying, be honest. And, and that, doesn't, that doesn't mean be hurtful, like honest, like you're a jerk. That kind of honesty is not helpful. But honest and vulnerable about pain points and shortcomings and, and desires that haven't happened yet, let's open up. It's why we value community groups as a church. It's why we press in. We don't have a bunch of programs. We don't have 35 options to choose from. What we say as a church is in order to grow as the people of God, in order to be Jesus' people on the earth, we need a few people that we're getting to know. And as we get to know and trust, we're learning to drop down the wall and drop down the guard and speak the truth in love and build one another in the faith. And that's God's goal. So, but everyone here watching or listening is equipped to build up the body. And everyone here who's watching or listening is in need of being built up by the body. We're actually all both. We're not all receivers. We're not all givers. Every one of us is built to give to others and receive from others. This is the way of Jesus. So let's ask the Holy Spirit to deal with the spin and the manipulation and the, I'm keeping this from everyone. Let's, let's allow the Holy Spirit to deal with us. And then a couple of questions just to think through. How are we gonna restore broken relationships until we're honest? When you think about relational breakdowns, it often happens because we're not honest. So if I want healthy relationships, how is that going to happen if I'm not being honest? How are we going to avoid lust and unfaithfulness if we're not honest? Notice that everything Jesus is saying is building on one another because Jesus is the way, truth, and life. Where do we go from here? Uh, we follow Jesus. And if you're watching and if you've not yet decided to follow Jesus, can I just say to you, all of these beautiful promises, all of these beautiful things that God wants to do, they begin when we leave our life from not following him, going our own way, doing our own thing, and we surrender our lives fully and completely to the leadership of Jesus. And so if you're not yet following Jesus, hear me, friend, start today. Be honest and tell Jesus what he already knows. 
I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I believe, Jesus, that you're the way, the truth, and the life. And you, you died and rose again for me. So I don't have to try to be better to be loved by you, Jesus. I'm simply saying, I need you for forgiveness and wholeness. And I need you to lead me and guide me and show me your way and empower me to, to actually live this out. Jesus, I need you and I'm willing to follow you. And if you start there, you watch my friend, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus will take you further. For the rest of us, let's let the Holy Spirit deal with the real us. And let's learn to speak the truth in love. If you need to talk with one of our team, I encourage you, please do it now. If you've not yet started to follow Jesus, go, go on the button on the side, or if you're on YouTube, the button below, and choose to follow Jesus. Talk to our team even now.